0: the download is complete welcome to the AV Forums podcast presented by Phil Hinton
1: hello and welcome to the home center podcast of for January we're coming to you live from Las Vegas And joining me on the podcast tonight is Steve Withers. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Phil. And we're recording this from my hotel room in Las Vegas. Um, It's been a long week, Uh, another CES. So I guess the first question, um, did it live up to expectations in terms of our predictions on 4K?
0: Well, in a way, yes. Certainly there were a lot more 4K TVs on offer from the various manufacturers, for me, the big disappointment was that there was no real, you know, valid 4K delivery system. I mean, Sony had a 4K player they were showing, which they're only releasing in the US. Um, it's going to be a down, basically download files, 4K files for playback. I think they're also giving some kind of um, 4K player to people who buy their 84-inch 4K TV that will have some movies um, pre-loaded onto it. And Red, Red, the makers of the Red Epic camera were there with their Red Ray Player, which again is also uh, uses either USB or download, but there wasn't any disc-based system, and I was really hoping we were going to get some sort of announcement from Blu-ray about a sort of Super Blu-ray or uh, Blu-ray with some new, um, you know, high-capacity uh, codec. And we didn't get that, so that was a bit of a disappointment because I think for 4K to really be a success, there needs to be some 4K content to watch on it. You can't just rely on upscaling Blu-ray, which is what they're currently doing at the moment.
1: I think the Red Ray player uh, was a bit of a white elephant, to be honest. I mean, it was great speaking to to Ted from Red. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, video cameras, as you know, Steve. And it was interesting seeing the Red Epic and, and learning a bit more about that camera. But the player, it, it runs on their codec and they don't have any Hollywood support. So it's more or less going to be useful for those Red Epic owners who maybe want to watch their dailies. Um, that they've shot on on the documentaries or whatever it is they're making, um, because there's no Hollywood support, there's no film support, and if there is any film support, it's likely to come from indies who use uh, the red cameras. Well,
0: I, you say there's no Hollywood support that we know of, but they might have something in the in the pipeline. I mean, we don't know that, but you're right. Currently, from what I can tell from talking to them, it's uh, yeah, it's very much independent features, some TV work, basically things that Red have worked on themselves. Um, but I guess in the current environment any content is better than no content but $1,400 it's quite a lot of money just to watch a few 4K clips.
1: And again, Steve, you're assuming that independent filmmakers are going to make their uh, material available for download and so on to to use with a red ray. It's going to be interesting to see um, if that player has any traction. Um, they are l- releasing a laser projector later in the year, a 4K projector. And I have a sneaking suspicion we might see a few others by, before the end of the year, although nothing was announced at CES.
0: That's true Phil, although they know it's very rare that you get projectors announced at CES, obviously they usually wait until um, both IFA and Cedia in September before you, you, you see projectors being announced, but you're right Phil, I think come the end of this year we should see some, more. obviously we've got the VW1000 at the moment, but we should see more manufacturers announcing 4K projectors and hopefully more use of the LED laser hybrid technology that we saw on, um, well, Panasonic are releasing actually next month. And previously, Acer, Acer released a projector last year. And I know I believe that's the technology that Red are going to be using on there, what they think they're calling the Crimson, um, is a code name for the projector. Um, but yeah, I mean, at least Red are trying to get, you know, 4K projectors and 4K content out there, which is a plus point in my book.
1: Yeah, so that's projectors. Uh, Like you say, not really released uh, here at CES. So let's move back to the 4K TVs. Let's move back to the 4K TVs. Interesting. Sony and Panasonic announce um, basically the same TV. We know that they've been working on the technology together. Um, What was more interesting to me was when speaking to Tim uh, at Sony, he was very dismissive of this product coming to market, whereas. Panasonic were more or less saying, well, yeah, it's a prototype and it's something that we're going to push forward. Yeah, it was strange. I mean, given
0: it's it's fairly well known that they've both been working together on this technology and they both announced within a day of each other that they're releasing 56-inch 4K OLEDs. But Panasonic were much more bullish. They were basically suggesting that they were going to release uh, the TV this year whereas Sony were basically saying it's a prototype, we may never release it, which is very similar to what we heard from them last year when they showed everyone their crystal LED uh, display, and that disappeared down a rabbit hole in the meantime. So uh, from that perspective, you know, I found Panasonic's more interesting because there's a possibility it might actually see the light of day and be available to the public. As you say, Tim from Sony was, uh, was rather dismissive of the technology even coming out, which surprised me to be honest.
1: The OLED TVs that we do know that are coming out are 1080p models. Uh, coming from LG now, do we believe them? We, we went yeah. all the way to Monaco <laughs> last year um, to see their OLED TV, told it was coming out at quarter four. We haven't seen it. We're now being told the first TV will be quarter one. So do we believe them?
0: Yeah, it's getting a bit like the Boy who Cried Wolf, isn't it? I mean, they, they showed the TV last CES. They'd officially launched it, in inverted commas, in Monaco. They've now started taking orders for, for the TV they were supposed to release last year. Now, we understand, of course, that they had problems with production, that the yields were quite low, about uh, less than 10% initially, so they've obviously had some issues. But they're quite bullish for this year, because not only are they releasing, or supposedly releasing the first generation, as they're calling it, OLED TV um, in the first quarter, they're also planning to release a second generation OLED TV, which is actually the same TV with a different stand, and slightly like cosmetic changes, uh, in the summer And towards the end of this year, they're planning on releasing uh, a curved OLED screen. So technically, if we believe them, LG are releasing three different OLED screens this year. Um, And of course, on top of that, you've got uh, Samsung, who also had an OLED on display, which I believe they're planning on releasing this year. So, you know, if the the problems they've had with production have been fixed, then we could see a glut of OLED TVs coming on the market in 2013.
1: Of course, the the one factor with OLED is going to be price. Um, interesting, still that we still don't have a solid price from LG for their OLED TV, and certainly nothing from Samsung.
0: Yeah, no, I mean we've only had sort of rough indications around about the nine thousand, ten thousand pound mark, which I guess would be a reasonable expectation uh, given given sort of comparable prices for other um, you know new technology that's been yeah, launched.
1: But, but remember the four K TV. Uh, it was rumored to be nine thousand pounds, and when it was released, it was twenty-three thousand.
0: Yeah, that was a big difference in price. Um, when you talked to uh, LG about that, their, their explanation was that you know other factors were brought in in terms of features they added and etc., and that's what pushed the price up. But it did seem like a very big difference between the early indications and the actual price. But um, I think that. You know, the prices that we've we've heard off the record have been roughly consistent, so I would expect it to be around about that, which is a lot of money, you know. But but when you see them in action, you know, no question, is money well spent in terms of performance. You know, seeing them again this week has reminded me just how good they can actually look. You know, the blacks are just totally black. You know, it's absolute black, with with a very bright image. You know, a vast dynamic range, awesome contrast ratio beautiful colours, they're four millimetres thick, incredibly fast response times. I mean, assuming they can make them in any kind of large numbers, then uh, it's going to be a, a real killer killer um, technology once it actually comes out.
1: Now, of course, the other thing that we don't know is is what the inherent flaws in the technology are going to be. Now, some of the trade shows that we've been at when we've seen uh, OLED TVs, uh, we have seen what looks like image retention and so on. So. Yes, they look absolutely fabulous in terms of black levels and, and dynamic range, but uh, I, again, I guess we have to not only give a word of caution on uh, the expected prices of these units, but also in terms of technical issues that we don't quite know about yet until we get them in and test them.
0: It's true, Phil. I mean, I, I was looking for any image retention this week and I can't see I saw any, Um but clearly, given these things, and you know, certainly in the case of LG's OLED TV, over you know over six months behind its initial release date, um, you know they've obviously had some issues with these TVs. Now, hopefully, they were rather more to do with production than they were to do with performance. But uh, you're right. Until we actually finally get a working, released model in for review, it's all just speculation at this point.
1: So the other big topic of uh, CES 2013. As we expected, we touched on it at at the start of the podcast, and that's uh, the glut of 4K TVs that are coming in. And um, every manufacturer, even the Chinese uh, manufacturers, had their versions of 4K panels on show. Um, It's now pretty old technology when it comes to old veterans like us going backwards and forwards to these types of trade shows. Um, But in terms of the, the, the 4K TVs, which one... Um, really caught your interest, and if you say red, I'm going to punch you.
0: <laughs> they w- they didn't do a TV, so I can't say red. But well, they did, though I would have. Um, no, but basically you had uh, you had you, you had LG with their 84 inch, which we've already of course seen um, both at last year's show and and we had it in for before Christmas, um, and very impressive it was too. Then you had their new uh, 55 and 65 inch uh, 4K TVs, which are coming out I think in the summer. Um, You then had uh, Sony with an 84-inch that they also released last year and their new 55 and 65-inch TVs. And you had Toshiba with an 84-inch and a 65 and 55-inch TV. Uh, now, that's not a coincidence, and they're all passive 3D, which gives you clues to who makes the panels here. Obviously, LG are making all the panels for these, for these manufacturers, but of course, panels on everything. Obviously, the technology inside it, the, the actual electronics and the backlight are all, all, all key factors as well. The video processing is absolutely essential when it comes to 4K because most of what you're watching is going to be upscaled to the panel. Um, so, so, so looking at the, at the different uh, manufacturers, you know, they all looked great. Basically, I mean, with native 4K content, they all looked fantastic. Uh, I thought the Sony's were very attractive. The, the new 55 and 65 inch TVs I thought were really nice looking TVs. Um, I also thought that the uh, Toshiba's looked particularly good because they were using red content in the demo. Getting close to being punched. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, they they all look fantastic. Then, of course, you had um, Samsung. Uh, who did show a, a 4K TV last year, but there was a prototype, and then there was all this hype before the show, the adverts on TV and everything about changing the future of TV, and you're thinking, blimey, what they're going to release? This, this sounds interesting. And what did it turn out to be? A 4K TV, which, with all due respect, isn't that earth-shattering anymore. Um, it was a, uh, there was an 85 inch, I think, a 95 inch, and 110 inch. They were big, big TVs, and because they were so big, they had their new what were they calling it? Timeless gallery design. Um, which I thought looked like uh, an easel or, you know, a blackboard in, in, in at school. Um, ugliest TV I've ever seen in my life, if you want an honest opinion. Um, well, I mean,
1: the problem with that is that that you had these metal struts coming down at 45 degree angles from the center or the top of the screens. And, and quite rightly, you pointed it out on, on the trade show. And I've got to agree with you. If you're sitting um, off axis, uh, these metal bars are cutting off some the of corner. The, the, the corner of the screen um so uh, you're gonna have to watch them pretty bang on straight on and and not from an angle uh unless you want to cut off uh, sections of the picture
0: yeah i mean because of the nature of this frame they can't be swivelled so you have to be sitting directly in front of them uh, otherwise as you say phil you're going to miss bits of the picture uh, i just it, 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 was a, it was a very for me, I mean, some people were actually. Some people we talked to loved the design, not just Samsung. I mean, people that even other manufacturers were going on about how great they thought it was, and that's a, I guess that's their opinion. Personally, I thought it was terrible. I, I didn't didn't understand it at all. To me, it just seemed like a, you know, a very strange because I mean, the, was it an angle unless you t- you swiveled
1: it? I, I don't know. It Just seemed like they were just trying to be different. To be fair to Samsung. um uh, that was the the main effort of display that that took up the front of uh, their stand this year. Um, but to as you walked in the stand to the left hand side, they did have these 4K panels wall mounted, without the 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 frame around it, making it look like a blackboard. And when it was wall mounted, um, it did look rather nice. And, and in terms of picture quality, you couldn't fault it.
0: No, no, you're right. I mean, they obviously what there was. There obviously is the option to wall mount, um, which is definitely what I would do if I owned one. Um, but they did look good. Yeah, they looked very good. And, and in fact, you know, th- to be honest, walking around Samsung stand, th- their their whole range looked impressive this year. I mean, they are the world's biggest TV manufacturer. Um, they have been ge- genuinely influential in terms of design, specifically, over the last two or three years, and continue to be so. And uh, yeah, they had they had a very solid stand. I mean, it was you, know, you could see the two Koreans being. Uh, large impressive displays at their stands uh, which I think reflect that their, their current status as the top two TV
1: manufacturers. So I guess uh, the only 4K TVs we haven't talked about yet are the Sharp uh, versions which interestingly from uh, from an enthusiast point of view, THX certified, um, we were with THX on Wednesday night and had a, a, a quick chat with them and then we spent the day on Thursday with, uh, well not the whole day, but certainly some of the day with uh, Kerry on the uh, on the Sharp stand. Um, looking at these new 4K TVs, now there's two new technologies. I'm going to talk about the 4K THX certification because uh, this was just a 4K panel, um, vanilla 4K, can we say that yet? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, which had been certified. I have to say, um, like all 4K TVs, when it's playing native footage, it uh, absolutely gorgeous. Unfortunately, the one on their stand was upscaling Blu-ray Uh, That was a THX TV, the one next to it, which Steve's going to talk about in a second, uh, was showing native 4K. Uh, But still, very nice picture quality, and of course it has to pass all the tests um, as part of the certification process. And we do know that they're quite uh, stringent when it comes to uh, things like, certainly with LED TVs, which this was, uh, with backlight uniformity and so on, and, and we didn't really see any issues with that.
0: Uh, no, no, it, it, um, it looked very good. I mean, they had it inside a dark room, so you know it was really being viewed in the best possible conditions, uh, and it held up well. And, and in fact, you know, looking at, at THX's specifications for, for certification, um, there's something like in the region of 300, 300 tests um, they, have, they have to pass. So it is, it is very genuinely stringent, as you say, Phil. Um, and it's interesting that they're now certifying 4K TVs, which suggests you know that 4 k are already becoming quite mainstream from that perspective. That you got got THX certifying them. This is the first one, but I'm sure there will be more uh, at a later stage. Uh, the other TV, as you, as you sort of alluded to, is is, is Sharp's um, ICC Purius. I think ICC stands for is Integrated Cognitive Creation. Um, Something like that. Which basically uh, basically is uh, a sharpening stroke, dynamic contrast uh, feature designed to um, analyzes the uh, the image. And adjust the brightness
1: within the image to, to give it a sense of a great sense of depth. So I, I guess uh, most of our listeners will be aware of reality creation, which Sony uses, the Darby Darblet. Yeah, similar. Um, so it's it's similar technology. And I mean, this is going to be an expensive TV. I mean, Kerry said that, you know, the THX 4K is going to be expensive. Uh, the ICC even more so.
0: Yeah, it's not going to be cheap. Um, now there's been a lot of debate about these sort of these sort of enhancing features like like rarity creation, like the doublet. Um I, I tend to feel that when it, when it comes to upscaling content to the 4K panel, uh, 1080P to a 4K panel. There's there's more leeway for this to be genuinely useful because you are always upscaling and, and and to a certain degree sharpening to fit them, so the content can be matched to the panel itself. So, so I, you know certainly from my experience of the reality creation feature on the VW thousand, it worked really well. Whether you agree with doing that on a on a 1080p panel with 1080p materials is a different story. I'm not so keen on it. I didn't find it quite so effective on the HW50, for example. But uh, certainly, uh, looking at the demo material they were showing in um, in the same dark room with the THX certified 4K panel, uh, it looked really
1: impressive. Definitely, um, technology worth watching. Okay, so we've been talking about new technology. Before we go any further, um, you probably noticed that, uh, obviously my voice is starting to go, Steve's is uh, getting there. Um, it has been a long week. And let's quickly talk about the show, Steve, because I don't think people realise, if you haven't been to CES, um, just how big this show is. I mean, it's over uh, 1.7 million square feet. I think it's 1.9. 9, 1.9 9 million. million. Okay, so just to explain it to you, if you've ever been to uh, somewhere like the Excel Centre um, or the NEC in Birmingham or some, some place like that, um, times it by five, and <laughs> I think you're... Only just starting to get to uh, the same size of halls that are used, and then obviously the show breaks out of the halls into various hotel uh, conference centres, various hotel suites, and so on. It's a massive show. Yeah, to put it into context, uh, the
0: total amount of floor space at at the at CES 2013 was equivalent to roughly 37 football pitches. So it, Is that it's,
1: American football or our football? I think it's
0: American football pitches, I don't know how different they are in terms of s- actual sizes, um, but a, no, a lot. It's, it's massive. I, I mean, As you say, Phil, you've got three hu- huge halls at the convention centre, you've then got stuff spreading, spilling out into hotels like the Venetian and the Renaissance, um, you know, there's, there's a Sands Expo up next to Venetian as well, which they use for keynote speeches and that kind of stuff. It's just gigantic, and I, I did try and exp- talk about this a little bit in my blog. I didn't mean to come across as a winder. <laughs> All I was trying to do was uh, give people an idea of, of the amount, of the sheer scale of the show, the amount of people that are there—150,000 you know, people coming over the four or five days, uh, or the press, or the manufacturers. I think it's something like 20,000 new products are launched. Um, you know, just given that, that there's so many people crammed into one area, even though it's a large area. You know, you're, you're constantly battling crowds, you're trying to get through crowds to get to the stands, you're queuing to, uh, you know, to do anything, queuing to get on buses, queuing to get on taxis, queuing to get on the monorail, queuing to get to the stands, queuing to get into press conferences, queuing to buy a few, queuing to go to the loo. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to shoot videos and people are you know, milling around. This year we took a different approach, I think, from last year and the year before, where, where we we tried to sort of, you know, get the shots perfect and people walked in front of the camera and we had to stop and retake. This time we just kept shooting, which I think gave it more of a, a more dynamic feel, but also probably gave people a better idea of just how busy and crowded it is. I, you know, and it, it can be quite tiring, can't it, Phil, <laughs>
1: over the five days? Well, if, like me, you fall down the stairs two weeks uh, before you come out to CES um, uh, and damage and your then legs. Can't get to see, yes. <laughs> and then can't get to CES. And then can't get to CES because they've overbooked your flight. Uh, so you turn up on time, you go to check-in, and they say, well, sorry, we've uh, double-sold your seat um and having to wait in london while you go out to vegas um when you should go out to vegas and i've got to wait an extra day to get out there with the camera gear and everything else it means that we're chasing our tail for the rest of the week which we have been um but we got there in the end i mean this is now it's 10 past 11 on sunday evening we fly back tomorrow at the time we're recording this podcast it's been a hectic week and uh, when you got all the camera gear and everything else to carry you've got people bumping into you got a queue for everything surprising we get anything done when we come out here and we're not whinging when we say that because it is enjoyable the experience is enjoyable once you get here once you get to the stands once you push people out the way so you can actually see the product um it's good fun but everything else in between um i'm I'm not going to say it's a chore but it's a challenge
0: it's definitely challenging covering the show when there's just the two of us Uh, and and as you say it's so vast i mean that tends to be the reason why the coverage Top popular topics like TVs, um, you know, uh, Blu-ray players, uh, the, the audio-video equipment, because uh, there's so much here that you, you you literally, with two of us, we couldn't physically cover it all. Um, and so we try to concentrate on the things we know are gonna be popular on site. So you know, we know that manufacturers like Panasonic and Samsung are gonna be popular. So it's best to at least, at least cover them in some detail. But, you know, we, we do try our best. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed the coverage. Uh, and here we are now, broken men on the Sunday night. <laughs>
1: Looking forward to getting back to the UK. That's the size of the show. Let's move on to products that we are going to be able to buy. Uh, Not only that, but able to afford. Um, So normal TVs, (laughs) I can't believe I'm calling a high definition TV (laughs) a normal TV, but there you go. The way things are moving in the market now. uh, Plasma, uh, we've been uh, fighting off the comments from various sections of the industry over the years saying, well, plasma is a dead technology and it's not going to go anywhere and uh, you know once OLED becomes popular uh, it's going to kill it out and I'm sure it it might kill it off when OLED does become a reality. Let's remember yes, there's still no OLED TVs on the market just yet to buy even though LG say they are coming this month so with with that in mind um, certainly from my point of view and I know you're going to agree Steve that if you want the really best in picture quality for critical viewing um, of material such as films and so on, then plasma really is the technology for you in terms of uh, accurate colors, good black levels, a wide view and angle um, and and basically a, an image which still looks like analog uh, video analog film, which gives movies that 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 feeling that we all like and let's not go into high frame rates um, so with all that in mind, uh, plasma TVs, LG didn't have any this year um i think they they had two tucked away on the stand which i missed. I only know they're there because george told us we were they were there um so that kind of left panasonic and samsung now samsung bit of a dark horse over the last couple of years they have produced uh, some really good plasma tvs at really reasonable price levels um and i guess the 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 only thing that you could point to the samsung's certainly in the past was that the blacks weren't quite as good as uh, the Panasonic's, and maybe they were lacking a little bit in color accuracy when compared to the Panasonic's. But when we saw the F8500, um, I think both of us stood there and said, oh, wow.
0: Yeah, that was uh, that was a surprise. I mean, you, as you say, Phil, um, Samsung have been uh, delivering some very solid plasmas over the last couple of years. In fact, last year, I reviewed the E8000, and I thought it was a superb TV, really good. One of my TVs of the year, in fact. Uh, this year, seeing the F8500, um, not only is is it a, a really uh, really striking design, um, which you'd expect in some respects from from Samson. Thank God it, they've got rid of the quad foot. It's got it's got a more sort of well, uh, it's not an unusual stand, but it's a, it's a much more traditional stand in the sense that you know it covers the length, whole length of the chassis. But it's made of metal, literally made of metal, gunmetal design. Uh, looked beautiful. And as you say, they, they've they've been working on the panel, and that is now apparently four times darker and two and a half times brighter uh, than the previous plasmas they've been making. Which, which, which if, if true, suggests you know, an, you know a massive dynamic range there. And um, you know the black levels are pretty good last year, so they're four times better this year. Then we the, we're looking at something that can genuinely uh, compete with uh, Panasonic at every level here because you've also got their full feature suite in there, you know, built-in cameras, all this sort of stuff. So, you know, that that that's a real contender, I think, for, you know, TV of the year next year, or this year, sorry. Um, but Pan- Panasonic, you know, not to beat it, are not going to let their crown go lightly, are they, Phil?
1: No, they're not. And, um, uh, you know, as good as the Samsung was, I've I've read some comments uh, online and in, in some forums and so on where, uh, you know, certain pundits are saying that this samsung had black levels which he called oled i think um the people making those comments were getting a little bit carried away um yes it looked uh the black levels looked deep they looked uh dark uh the samsung plasma looked to have a really nice dynamic range and contrast and remember that this is on a show floor with strong lights um the filter was certainly working rejecting ambient light and so on But we're never going to know about these things until we actually see the production models. You've got to remember that every single TV that we have seen at the show is a pre-production sample, which will have been tweaked to within an inch of its life to look good on a show floor, Steve. And uh, we can only really pass a a general comment on what we thought of the technology that we've seen at the show. That's not to say that the production models are going to be the same.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, one of the m- most commonly asked questions we get is, you know, what did it look like, you know, at the show? But unfortunately, there aren't the best conditions to, to really judge picture quality on anything, because as you say, Phil, you know, you've got lots of ambient light. Uh, you know, you don't know what, mater- what material's being played, where it's being played from, you know, it's standard definition, high definition, or, or, you know, how compressed it is. There's so, m- so many variables, how the TV's set up, uh, you know that you can't really make an informed judgment in terms of genuine picture quality. All you can do is give initial impressions. But having said that, Panasonic had their new ZT-60 uh, in a black room with the previous year's VT-50. So there was at least an opportunity to do a direct comparison between last year's model and the new flagship model uh, in 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 a black environment, in a dark environment, to see the differences in the terms of their black levels. So, I mean, clearly that that was a, a reasonably effective demonstration of, of something. Uh, and certainly in, in that, you know, when we looked at it, the blacks looked really, really black. I mean, it's one of those times when the black wall behind the TV and the black image that the TV was showing, you couldn't tell where one ended and the other one started, which is a phenomenon I've only seen previously uh, on the Kuro. So, it, it, yeah, they, that, certainly this the new ZT60, which is going to be Panasonic's new pla- new flagship uh, plasma TV for this year. Um, they've they've got a whole new panel here. They basically redesigned the panel so that rather than having uh, the glass front of the panel and then uh, an, a gap, basically a gap of air, and then and then the f- sort of front of the TV, the glass front of the TV, um, the front of the panel is now the front of the TV. Um, so the, ambient, the 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 ambient filter goes onto the front of the panel. There's no gap of air effectively, which means that the light rejection should be vastly improved on this new ZT60. And certainly from what we saw in the the demo, that appeared to be the case. Um, They also uh, have widened the color gamut, the color space, on the TV to 98% of uh, DCI. Which isn't necessarily that important because obviously what we're watching is Rec Seven O Nine, but what it does mean is that I know from experience, I know you know as well, Phil, that the the Reds on the Panasonic plasmas recently have been a little bit undersaturated. So hopefully that'll fix that. Um, it's also got what, about thirty thousand gradations and uh, G- it, gradations of what? Yeah, I don't know. did not
1: say. It said super gradation actually was the term they used. <laughs> yeah, and I mean it, it's all very well us um, talking about this. And obviously the the demonstration that we saw, we got to understand that this is a demonstration on Panasonic's terms, not our terms. So um, you've got to give them a little bit of trust when you walk in. How much trust you give a manufacturer is obviously down to the down to the individual. And I'm pretty skeptical when it comes to these things. And I have to say that certainly in that demonstration, yes, it looked very good. But also, uh, let's not forget that it, it looked like the color control had been turned up, and there was definitely. Uh, some sharpening going on there to differentiate it between the the VT50 that was sitting next door to it. And again, let's not forget that two years ago, um, two years ago, three years ago, when the the VT20 was released, um, when we initially saw the VT20 on the stand in a dark room, it looked identical to a Pioneer Kuro. I have a sneaking suspicion that it was a Kuro panel in a Panasonic uh, body because when we saw it at the convention in February, it looked different. And then when we saw it when it was released as a production model, it looked different again. So, you know, um, yes, impressive, but a big pinch of salt uh, also to be taken with uh, these demonstrations.
0: Um, what else are they doing? Well, they've got the VT-60, which is, looks like just a refinement of last year's VT-50. And they have the st 60 which again appears to be a refinement of last year's st 50 no GT series in the States, although Panasonic suggested that might not be the case in Europe. We'll have to wait and see. As you said, Phil, there'll be the uh, European Convention in February when we'll get the full specifications and models uh, for Panasonic for Europe. So uh, until then, it's it's well, we've got to go on with the US models. But um, certainly, I, I mean, I've been one of the people that said pa- plasma's dying, dead, it's going to be gone soon. But obviously, when I said that, I didn't realize that OLED was going to take forever to turn up. Um, it looks like Panasonic still are still at least, I know they've announced that they probably won't be doing any more R&D into, into Plasma going forward, but uh, it could well be that this you know, the ZC60 could be the last hurrah uh, as far as Plasmas go. And it looks like Samsung at least are, are going for it one last time. Um, I, I'm guessing that come next year there'll be far fewer on display and within a couple of years um, there'll probably be a lot less. But, uh, but yeah, I, mean, I think it's, it's still a good year for, for Plasma. I'm excited, looking forward to seeing them. And um, you know, I, I reckon uh, for the for the fans of plasma out there, this could could be a, you know, a really a vintage year for um,
1: choice. Yeah, you sound excited about it as well. <laughs> um, is OLED gonna gonna come along as quick as as we're making out there? Who knows? Um, we,
0: we well, should uh, Well, Panasonic seem to be quite bullish about their new printing pr- process. I'm not quite sure what that means and how you but, make a pla- an OLED.
1: But are, are they doing that because? Um, the technology is good or are they doing that because they know they have to absolutely slash their budgets and how much they're spending on development uh, so they're just talking it up because they have to make major cuts and they have to move on.
0: Well that's a possibility and we'll come back to Panasonic's uh, strategy in terms of uh, production uh, when we talk about LED LCD. Um, Yeah I mean the Japanese manufacturers It was interesting being at the press conferences on the Monday because at the beginning of the press. Lucky com- you. Yeah. Well, you were sitting around at <laughs> Heathrow. Um, the 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 Koreans were going on about how successful they'd been, how much money they'd made, whereas the Japanese manufacturers already started their press conferences by sort of a, sort of apologising for a terrible year and how they were going to turn a corner and things were getting better and they were cutting costs and they're cutting inventories and uh, you know they were um, producing uh, products more, more you know more more cost effectively. Uh, So, I mean, that's not a surprise, obviously. It's been a fairly rough year for all manufacturers, I think, but particularly for Japanese ones of late. Um, So a lot of what they say at these press conferences is for the ears of the analysts, because they're there too, financial analysts at at the show, uh, just as much as all the journalists and the manufacturers are. And, uh, you know, they're trying to tell them that everything's going to be better, and they're going to write back to their investors and say that, that Panasonic and Sharp, whoever it is, uh, you know, is, 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 has turned a corner, is making might going to become profitable
1: again. Whether that's true or not is another issue entirely. That's why Panasonic and Sony are, are obviously going to start sharing cost production costs when it comes to new tech like OLED. Although Sony seem to be lukewarm, whereas Panasonic are, are a bit more upbeat. But is is that just on the face of things, just to uh, move people along and fool people into thinking that that, that they've got to talk things up because. Um, otherwise uh, you know, the amount of losses that they're making they can only make those sort of of losses over a number of years before they have to turn around and and give it up and when you look at the Chinese market as well and that was a big thing at CES was the amount of Chinese manufacturers that were showing off what would be considered quality kit Uh, it looked very Samsung-esque in design Um, a lot of the panels are obviously LG panels that are being used in this like the 4Ks panels that they were showing off. I mean, everybody's using LG panels for that, but um, even the the sort of run-of-the-mill LCD, LED TVs, they had a very similar look to them, but obviously these are going to be a lot cheaper than even what the Koreans are, are, are pushing out at the minute. And let's not forget that, you know, the Chinese economy is, is growing all the time. It's about to become the world's largest economy. Um, you know, could we see what's happened with Sony and, and Panasonic and Sharp, etc., start to happen with LG and Samsung as these big Chinese workhorses move on and move into the into the field, which they seem to be really confident uh, that they're going to be able to produce the goods to compete?
0: Well, that, that's you're right. There was an awful lot of Chinese manufacturers there. Some of them are quite big now. I believe um, Sen took over the space normally occupied by Microsoft, um, with, uh, with their stand, uh, you know they're they're the biggest manufacturer in China, and as you can imagine, that's that's a big market. Um, very, very, you know, these, these are definitely up and coming manufacturers. We're going to have to watch out for them. Of course, you know the Japanese and Korean manufacturers actually make their TVs quite often in China, so they're also benefiting from economies of scale and, and a cheaper workforce. But I think Hisense didn't,
1: didn't they show a, a, a transparent three D TV? Yes, they did. Um, you know. They were showing just the same technology that all the big major brands were showing. Um, And when we had a quick look around their stand, it looked very much like an LG, a Samsung, or or a Panasonic stand in terms of the technology on show, Um, in terms of the equipment, in terms of hand gestures and voice control. And, you know, their TVs had all these features on them. So, you know, that's one thing that I think has come out of this CES, whereas in the past, you know these manage, Chinese manufacturers have been seen as the cheap and cheerful route um, uh, for your supermarket chains and Costco's and places like that. Um, but but this year, you know, you could see that the designs and in terms of specification and so on, it matched the big boys. And and you know we're really going to have to watch and see um, how these companies start to penetrate not just the U.S. market but the European market.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely we'll have to watch out for them. I think um, ultimately it'll come down to brand recognition and, and how well they market themselves, you know, whether people want to buy a Chinese TV, even though they're probably quite well made. Well,
1: I'll counter that with five years ago, would you buy a Lucky Gold Star? Lucky Gold
0: Star, yeah. <laughs> yep, 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 very true, very true. Um, yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. I mean, there's been a you know paradigm shift in terms of uh, everything, but... Particularly things like TV production, you know, we've got go shifting from Japan to Korea. Uh, I suspect it will then shift to China. Why not? I mean, it makes sense, actually.
1: Yeah, totally. And uh, it, it's always on economies of scale. And let's face it, there's no bigger scale than, uh, than the Chinese economy. <laughs> and uh, in terms of population, the beat us at that as well. So uh, let's move things on rapidly because we are running out of time. Uh, LED, LCD TVs, we were just talking about them there with the Chinese manufacturers. Um, in terms of the best ones that we saw, I've got to say, um, again, we really liked them last year. Um, and unfortunately, the the screens that we saw last year at CES didn't quite make it into Europe. And that was the Sharp 8 Series and 7 Series, which we saw last year, we were really impressed with. I've got to say, not quite as impressed with the Elite line when we saw them last year. And um, finally enough, they, they weren't in any dominant position on the Sharp stand this year. They were very much concentrating on the... Uh, run-of-the-mill but when we say run-of-the-mill we're talking about screen sizes from 60 to 90 inches uh, uh, really making a name for themselves in big screen uh, LED LCD TVs Um, when you're talking about edge lighting of course the worry kicks in there that when you're talking about an 80 inch TV can it actually get a uniform backlight but I've got to say from what we've seen on the show floor and again you know everything we've talked about and and gone on about previously about don't take a big pinch of salt with everything you see on a show floor. They were impressive, really impressive. And um, we found this last year, and let's hope that the uh, certainly the big bigger screens uh, and the full backlight LED screens will make it to Europe.
0: Yeah, Phil, um, you're right. We we were impressed last year, and a few of them didn't really... Sh- uh, there, there were a few reasonable large stripes. Like, I, mean, I think Series 7 definitely hit the UK market, but uh, I'm not so sure sorry, about Series 8. This year again looked really impressive. First of all, they were showing dark material on their um, on their demo, demos on their on their LED LCD TVs. If you went to most of the other stands, anything that was an LED LCD TV was very always bright. So, for example, on the Panasonic stand, if it was a white background, it was the LED LCD TV demo. If it was a black background, it was a plasma. Whereas at the Sharp stand, they showed you know a multitude of different types of demo demo material, including very dark material, and looking at it. You know the backlights to me looked very uniform. There was no hot spotting, bright parts, you know, sort of bright corners. Um, and that's even with the TVs. Some of the TVs, particularly their very big Series Nine TVs, use um, uh, full array backlight. Um, but even the ones that using edge edge LED lighting look, looked really good, uh, really really impressive lineup. Actually, I thought, and they have made a bit of a niche for themselves with the big screen sizes, particularly in the States where people have got much larger homes and, and go for the really big TVs. But even in the UK, TV screen sizes are increasing. And and I think you know, Sharp have done a great job. I, I had a chance to review, what, their 60-inch, it was entry-level, 1,000 pounds for a 2D uh, TV, 60-inch screen, really good performer. I, I think that Sharp, you know, they've had the difficulties, obviously. We talked about that previously. But um, I think they're one to watch, generally. If
1: we get them in the UK. Yeah, if we get them at all. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had these issues. I mean, we had the same issue with, with Sony last year. And they keep saying that the 950 was never a, a UK model. Um, the H950, which was released everywhere else, it was a high-end model. Um, and it never came to the UK. So it, it seems to be funny, because on the other flip of the coin, you've got Panasonic, who are making the reference status TV. I wonder where they got that, that phrase, <laughs> reference status, from. Um with the ZT, now, you know, our members on Navy forums have been saying for a long time, look, um, we understand the the Pioneer concept with the Kuro was. It was an £8,000 TV that was sold for £4,000. You know, the c- components that were in it, the technology that was in it um, really made the TV. And, and enthusiasts have said, look, we want an enthusiast TV. They've done it this year. They've taken a really brave step. But, but certainly when we were talking about, you know, the economy earlier on, and how much money these companies are losing in terms of the television departments. A very brave move from Panasonic to release the ZT60 because it's it's going to be more expensive than the VT60. Um, it has the looks, will it have the performance and will it persuade people to go from uh, from a possible VT60 purchase and, and add the extra money because we had this problem last year with the ST50, um, It was so good that that a lot of people were saying, well, why should I buy a VT50? um,
0: That's why uh, they dropped the GT, wasn't it? Because it was taking away sales from the VT.
1: Exactly. So, you know, it's a brave move to make and it's going to be a premium screen. And I'll be interested to see what the forum members think of that. Um, I'm sure there's going to be open days with with certain dealers and so on where they can get a chance to see them side by side. And be interested to see their point of view. I mean, obviously we're going to get them in for review and, and assess them properly, but... Um, again, it'd be interesting to see what they think there. So, is there still a market for premium screens?
0: Definitely, I think there's a market. I mean, re- anyone who reads the forums will see that there's a, there's a real market out there it, it, amongst the enthusiasts. I think people are prepared to pay good money for 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 a really good TV. I mean, when people are going out there and buying the the VX three hundred as an alternative um, to 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 any of the other plasmas that are on the market you now. Sort of, and that's a professional monitor, um, with no, no tuner, no smart features, and they're paying six, seven thousand pounds for it. Clearly that there is demand for just pure performance, and it looks as if that's kind of the approach they're taking with the ZT60, because it doesn't actually have a lot of the features that are on the VT60. It doesn't have the built-in camera and this kind of stuff. It's very much about picture quality, first and foremost. Uh, you know, almost as if they get, they're going along the same lines as their pro monitors in the sense of, you know, everything, what, what's most, most important is, is how good it looks, uh, and how it performs and the rest of it's all, you know, incidental. Um, you're right, it's an interesting pl- play from, from Panasonic, giv- given that um, how competitive the market is and how tight the margins are, that they're, they're going to go down the enthusiast route. But, uh, you know, if anyone can do it, g- you, know, given the, you know, anyone who reads the forums will see that there's an awful lot of fa- Panasonic fanboys on there, some detractors as well. But certainly, if there's one thing that generates a lot of interest, it's usually Panasonic. Um, what I found interesting this year... Is that when I My first CES was two years ago, um, and the big thing then was obviously 3D. With LG going their own way, what was that? <laughs> yeah, LG going their own way with passive 3D, cinema 3D, as they were calling it. The big, the big proponent of active shutter, t, active shutter 3D at the time was Panasonic. Panasonic were totally behind active shutter. It was the only way to go. It was the highest quality, you know, the most, the highest resolution. It was the future.
1: I know where you're going with this. But I think it's it's down to the economy. Yeah, I know what the reason
0: is, but it's still funny.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it 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 is funny. But then but then again, you know, uh, two years ago I was in Osaka. um, I had the meeting with the engineers, and I was pleading with them to make an enthusiast TV, and I kept getting the answer, no, there's no market for it, not in this economy. The VT is as good as it's going to get. And then this year they turn around with their reference TV. so they've obviously they've obviously gotten the idea somewhere where there's an obvious market for this, and if they're going to release it in the UK, they obviously think that people in the UK are going to buy it. Certainly in the states, there's been a a call for a premium TV, so it will be interesting to see how that that model sells.
0: Yeah, it will be. I mean, your trip to Osaka, they show, wasn't one of the reasons you were there to see the gigantic new LCD panel
1: factory, which presumably it, the, they're no longer the, using. Yeah, the one that's now no longer. <laughs>
0: Because obviously, uh, anyone who's seen the news knows that every all that all of uh, um, Panasonic's LED LCD TVs are now passive, which which gives you a clue as to who's making the panels for them. Um, not Panasonic, it would appear. Um, again, as you say, Phil, that's a, just a, a function of uh, of the last year and the economy and the troubles that Panasonic and the other manufacturers in Japan it, have had.
1: It was one of the things that Mr. Suga and we were fortunate and, enough to meet. Um, Mr Suga who's the CEO and president of Panasonic Corp um the big boss as they call him uh, very nice gentleman uh, took the time to stop in and speak to us for uh, a good 5 minutes i mean it was a busy room and he had to get round everybody but he spent the time with us steve and and that was one of the things that he said to us you know when when asked the question why are are you moving away from R&D uh, with plasma um, he was pretty frank with his answer. He said, look, we can't stay with this technology. We've taken it as far as we can. We see other opportunities. Other manufacturers are moving in the same direction. Um, we have to be careful about where we invest for the future of the company. Um, and and basically, that was his answer to, to the R&D question. And I think when you look at it from a, bu- a business perspective, and let's face it, they're losing... An absolute shedload of money every year in the display in the display side of things. Um, they have to they have to make some tough decisions and obviously moving to passive three D with their LED TVs. They they still have to keep that that side of the market going because that's where they're going to get the majority of their TV sales. Whether we like that as enthusiasts or not, that people are p- more prepared to buy an LED LCD than a plasma. It's neither here nor there when you're looking at the wider market and. I guess you've got to respect the fact that they have to make these decisions. So releasing the ZT is a big risk, I think. But at the same time, it looks like further down the line, um, they're going to move with OLED. Um, they're going to put the investment in there because Plasma's more or less had its had its time and, and LCD, it's going to move to one panel provider.
0: The way it's looking, yeah. Um, I think what was very interesting was, was one of the reasons why Suga-san, Mr. Suga was here uh, was to do the keynote address on the Tuesday morning at, at CES if you watch that um, w- the main thrust of it was that Panasonic is, a, is an engineering company they make more than just TVs uh, they were emphasising all, that, that all the other stuff that they do, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, if they don't start making money in TV market, that, 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 whether they'll continue to make TVs, frankly, going forward um, that was the kind of underlying message I was getting was that And and TVs aren't the only thing they do.
1: And I think every Japanese manufacturer said said more or less the same thing. It's it's a state of the economy. But when you see the the strong yen um, and everything else that they've had to put up with over the last two years, and let's face it, the poor Japanese people have had to put up with an awful lot with earthquakes, tsunamis, you you know, factories closing down, um, thousands of people losing their lives and all the rest of it, and hit with a recession and a strong yen. And... You can see why they're having problems.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it has been tough uh, for the Japanese manufacturers. they have you know, very, as you say, there's there's tough competition from Korea. There's even more competition coming now from China. You know, if you if you're sitting there in the Panasonic boardroom and you're thinking, well, we've got a strong business elsewhere, is it worth us continuing to exactly. throw money down the drain yeah. in in a
1: TV market? Who knows? Okay, so we're going to have to wrap it up because. Got about eight minutes left, um, and we were about to talk about LED LCD, and we sidetracked it ourselves back to Panasonic and uh, the plasma market, and obviously Samsung's strong approach this year. Obviously, we covered Sharp's uh, LCD LED TVs. I really like the Samsung lineup, um, although it gets very samey from year to year. I have found that um, I have I'd probably have trouble if you had the 2012 model sitting next to the 2013 model. I think I would I would struggle to pick which one was which because they seem to be very semi-design-wise uh, I could tell them apart but only because of the cameras. Only because of the camera, <laughs> yeah. And and the hint here is that the 2012 it's stuck in place, 2013 you can get rid of it by pushing it down at the bezel. But saying all that I mean the top of the range TVs, even the 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 budget line TVs they offer impressive performance for the price point um, to the mass market and That's probably why they're the number one manufacturer, they're number one in terms of sales, and they're having uh, they'll probably have a great two thousand and thirteen as they did
0: two thousand and twelve. Yeah, I mean Samsung's success has been based upon some very shrewd marketing, basically calling their TVs LED TVs when we all know they're actually LED LCD TVs. uh, Very attractive designs and some really nice features, uh, and that continues into two thousand and thirteen. The TVs look great; they're absolutely chock full of features. um, The flagship, uh, it's F8000, the yeah. F8000. It yeah. had uh, quad core processing. It's three and a half times faster than last year's. Uh, the smart TV platform is absolutely stellar. I mean, they really have put a lot of thought into it. And it they were the best last year and I think they'll be the best this year. Um, they had a f- just chock full of features, motion control, voice control, the lot. I mean, it, the voice control now understands normal speech. You haven't got to give it specific instructions. That's impressive you know picture quality looked good but you know with Samsungs, you always tend to find that when you get them and they look as good as they did in the shop but uh you know overall it's a very solid lineup and the one thing i did like was they kept their promise from last year they, they they released their evolution kit so if you own a 2012 tv you can buy this slot it in the back and you get all the features and smart platform from this year on last year's tv and that actually is
1: pretty cool okay well um I don't think my voice is going to take much more of this. Uh, so that is our podcast uh, for this month. Um, before we go to next month, we've been talking about smart TV. We've been talking about smart features. We've been talking about uh, getting a smarter life, or in your case, Steve, getting a life. Um, with that in mind, how do we use our smart TVs? Do you have a smart TV? How do you use it? How do you interact with your technology? A lot of uh, CES this year was... Um, How to get your phone to sync up with your TV so you could have your phone's home screen on on your home screen on your TV. Panasonic had uh, similar types of technology. Uh, They have their swipe and share. Um, There's all this technology at the moment. We all have smartphones. A lot of us have tablets. How do you interact with your technology? That's going to be the discussion. Uh, for February's podcast so let's hear from you podcast at avforums.com is the email address Uh, or you can put your comments at the bottom of this podcast in the podcast forum do you use smart tv what features do you find the most useful and what features do you think we could do without and how will we live with technology as we go into 2013 there you go a nice deep podcast for February uh, which will be on the 21st don't forget, we have the Movies podcast on the 7th of February, the Games podcast on the 14th of February, like I say, Home Cinema podcast on the 21st, and the podcast Extra, it comes back on the 28th of February. This is Phil Hinton saying thanks to Steve Withers. Cheers, Phil. And uh, we'll see you again next month for another AV forums Home Cinema podcast.
0: The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.